When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Alex L., and I write books for a living. The Hey Girl podcast was created with sisterhood and storytelling in mind. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Join us as we journey through sharing together. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hi, Marissa. It is so great to chat with you. I cannot wait for this conversation to take off. Thank you for being here with me. <laughs> so good to be here. I have been following you for a long time, as you know, and I feel like I've learned so much from you just in the last year. So I'm excited to get to chat live today. So before we dive in, please let us know who you are and what you do. And also, what brought you to this work around grief? And where does your passion come from as you navigate the waters of love and loss? Growing up, I had a sick parent. My mom had multiple sclerosis. And then when I was preparing to graduate from college, she was actually diagnosed with stage four breast cancer on top of her multiple sclerosis. And we lost her a few years later. And a few years after her death, which left me completely undone, I thought I had figured out this grief thing. You know, I felt like I had learned through her illness and then her death you know, what it means to overcome hard things and, you know, be this strong black woman that we hear about all the time. And then my husband and I, after years of infertility and infertility treatments, ended up losing a pregnancy in 2019. And that actually caused me to question everything that I thought I knew about grief and about healing and you know, what it means to quote, get over things. Mm. And I learned through that journey that like, you don't actually get over these foundational losses that you experience, whether it's a person or a pregnancy or, you know, the loss of a relationship or a job and planned career path, you know, whatever it is, you don't get over it because fundamentally these things that we lose that mean a lot to us, the imprint of them on us, like that doesn't go away just because, you know, your person is no longer here or that relationship is no longer active mm -hmm. or that pregnancy mm -hmm. didn't work out, it continues to be a part of us in some way. And so what motivates me is both the relationship that I had with my mom and just how wonderful she was and everything that I've learned about grief since. And I care a lot about making sure that other people don't do what I did when I lost my mom, which was just you know, try to suck it up and move mm, on. Wow. And it's, you know, like I thought I could white knuckle my way through grief. I was back at work at a predominantly white investment bank, you know, two weeks after she died, I was very committed to just like continuing with my life. Not mm. as though it didn't happen, but sort of as though it didn't happen. And I've learned in the gosh, almost 14 years since that that's just not how it works. Mm -hmm. So I'm motivated both by the mistakes that I made after I lost my mom and also by the woman that she was. Mm, I love that. 
And also so freaking real about trying to balance what it means to live when someone you love has died. And you do such a great job at being raw and honest and vulnerable about not sugarcoating loss and about not sugarcoating grief. And a big part of what impacts me about your work is your ability and commitment to just keep it real, especially as a Black woman. Like we are taught to be strong all the time. We are taught, it doesn't matter who dies, doesn't matter what type of thing you're going through health-wise. Like you are to be strong, you are to suck it up, you are to carry the world on your back and you are to do it with a smile on your face. I wanna talk about unlearning and dismantling that. And giving ourselves the space to like, to grieve and, and to heal and to be a hot mess, because it's almost like the world doesn't give us permission to do any of those things. Yes, 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 yes. And I actually (laughs) examine the relationship between grief and identity, particularly for Black women and, you know, others who frankly have been marginalized by society you know, what does it look like to really let ourselves grieve, to give ourselves the space to experience the fullness of emotions that arise on and off indefinitely Mm -hmm. after you lose something significant. And I think the fact that our pregnancy loss happened just a few months before the world shut down due to the pandemic, Mm -hmm. I was forced to really sit with a lot of what you just said and try and figure out why am I like this? Why did I feel like It was my responsibility to just continue on with my life with a smile on my face, you know, working Mm. hard and doing well at my job and essentially acting as though this transformational life altering thing hadn't happened to me. And I think some of it comes down to the piece around permission that you mentioned. I think another piece is safety. I think when you are truly vulnerable and have been, you know, emotionally broken and are, you know, really being challenged by something significant that causes you to kind of fall apart a bit. You can't fall apart if you don't feel safe doing so. If you don't feel like your vulnerability is going to be respected and cared for. Mm. So you just press on because there's nothing, you know, there's nothing outside in the world that says that my life as a black woman really matters. So Mm -hmm. why would I ever think that my grief matters? Wow. That there's so much there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So before we dive into that, because yes, your new book is called grief is love and it comes out spring 22. Yes. April 12th, 22, but you can buy it now, wherever you buy books. We always encourage folks to support their local bookstores, particularly bookstores that are owned by people of color. Yes. Pre-order the book. It's stunning. It is stunning. And I truly think it's going to change how we look at our grief and how we look at love. And you mentioned safety, which is so major for us as Black folks and Black women. When is the first time you felt safe in your grieving? Yeah, I realized when we lost our pregnancy that I, I felt safer in my grief then than I did as a, you know, barely 25 year old who lost her mom. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And when I started to, to like unpack, you know, why do I feel safe expressing all of this pain and, you know, confusion and grief and just, you know, all of these overwhelming feelings that both Matt and I were experiencing connected to the pregnancy loss, but I didn't feel safe doing it, you know, 10, 11 years prior when I lost my mom. Mm-hmm. And I realized it's because by the time we lost our pregnancy, I was 36. You know, I'm married, I'm married to a white man. I make pretty good money. You know, I own my own business. I am independent and as successful as, you know, I think, frankly, Black women are allowed to be who maybe aren't named Oprah Winfrey or Michelle Obama. Mm -hmm. So I felt safe because I I realized I had established myself according to, you know, the standards of whiteness and capitalism in a way where I had checked all the boxes. I graduated from Harvard. I worked on Wall Street. I worked in the Obama White House. I'd started a few successful businesses and nonprofits. I had the husband, you know, I own my own home. Like I felt like I was Mm. in a place where even if people disagreed with me or, you know, maybe viewed me as weak or, you know, too depressing or immature or really anything negative. I was in a place where I felt like I could say, I don't really give a fuck what you think. Whereas at 25, you know, just a couple years out of college, just getting started in my career, you know, barely making ends meet in New York, not yet having, you know, accomplished things, quote, I felt like if I were to fall apart at that time, you know, what was going to happen to me? Like who was going to take care of me? Who would even Mm. care? And Mm. that may not have been totally true to be fair to all of the amazing people who supported me through the loss of my mom, but that's how I felt. And so I responded accordingly. And that was just suck it up and take care of yourself and do whatever you need to do to survive. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Mm, Wow. First of all, kudos to your vulnerability. Because I don't think enough people are talking about what certain resources and accomplishments do for our feeling of safety, right? When did you realize, did you ever feel in your healing and in your grief, did you ever feel like you would do things differently, say, back then than you would now? And and was there any guilt with your grief in healing in this new, quote unquote, safe way? 
So there wasn't guilt, but there was a sense of impatience. Mm. You know, I, I hated that it was taking me so long to move on from the pregnancy loss when, you know, it, it wasn't a person. It was a very, very early pregnancy. You know, it was essentially a bundle of cells. And, you know, I, I found myself feeling frustrated with myself until I hit the point where I realized that you don't get over it. And what I was grieving in that instance is very different from grieving the loss of a parent who took care of you and been in your life for 25 years. But it was the grief of like unfulfilled hope, you know, and like the love and the plans and mm. all of the intentions that we had for our family and around this child. And so once I identified that that's what it was, it made it easier to be patient with myself. And it was also just really hard on me physically, which meant that some of my emotional processing was delayed because I was still just so sick physically sick from the loss itself. So yeah, not really guilt as much as these feelings of why is this so hard and kind of being frustrated by it mm -hmm. until I, and you know, of course, like with so many feelings, once I acknowledge that and let it go, it made it easier to move through that period. It was hard. And I started thinking about why do I feel safe telling people the truth about this loss when I started getting all of these like cookies for being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I kind of felt like, I don't even really feel like what I'm doing is that hard. You know, why do I feel okay being vulnerable? Why didn't I feel okay being vulnerable before? Mm -hmm. And I realized, you know, we give a lot of credit to people who look good being vulnerable. Mm. And it's usually white women. And I felt like because I was this person who had, you know, done all of these things and had all these accomplishments and whatever, like, mm -hmm. I was now someone who effectively like looks good being vulnerable. Wow. And as I started to unpack that, you know, that's when I kind of got into the safety piece and really thinking about privilege a lot. Mm -hmm. Did your unpacking of all of those things make you realize that the accomplishments that you have achieved, that the life that you have built, that the husband that you have, regardless of his race, like, did that show you that you're still not exempt from your grief and also that there may still be this sense of unsafety and inadequacy as you peel back the layers? Can you talk about that? Oh, absolutely. I think I realized through the process of both writing the book and this grief that came up for us around the pregnancy loss that I am as safe as a black woman can be, but that that still isn't like full safety and security in this country. Because, you know, let's also remember I was doing all of this personal grieving and reflecting and unpacking, mm -hmm. not just during COVID, but also during, you know, this quote, racial reckoning that we were in the midst of in 2020. Mm -hmm. So yes, I still identified that there is this inadequacy that exists simply by virtue of the fact that I have black skin. I think I see some of the race stuff in a different way sometimes because I also see how the world responds to the two of us as a couple. And anytime anything race-related happens, you know, how mm -hmm. it impacts us obviously very differently. Correct. And that is, Matt is an amazing partner and has done a lot of work 
to understand, you know, the severity of racism and, and, you know, how it impacts his black wife. But at the end of the day that he always says is, I am so upset, you know, I am so angry, but I know that what I feel is nothing compared to what you feel and I will never fully understand. Mm -hmm. So like there also had to be that constant acknowledgement of the difference that exists between us. Mm -hmm. What has the transition of your mother taught you about healing and independence and essentially taking care of yourself? Like, I wonder what lessons showed up when you were walking through your miscarriage and the pregnancy loss. Like, did mom's spirit swoop in and, and drop you any gems? Did you remember any conversations? Like, how were you able to, I don't know if this is the right phrasing, but how were you able to kind of cross pollinate your grief so that you could start healing from it? Yes, yes, yes. So when the pregnancy loss happened, especially when I was in that like frustrated phase, you know, not yet physically well and upset with myself for having so much grief, I would regularly take a step back and say, you know, what would she tell me to do? You know, like, what would her advice be here? How would she want me to care for myself? How would she want me to treat myself? And I would access those things, you know, whether it was taking a nap or, you know, making sure I was on top of a doctor's appointment, getting a massage, going away somewhere with Matt, you know, like whatever it was, I would try and access it. And then I hit a point where I was still having a hard time emotionally from the loss. And I wasn't sure what we should do in terms of next steps for growing our family. And it was just, it was hard and frustrating and isolating and then extra isolating because of the pandemic. And I realized that I needed to stop relying on what she would tell me to do Mm. and simply commit to caring for myself. I was 37 years old at this point, you know, like I, I know how we're supposed to care for ourselves. And I realized I wasn't able to do it on my own because I hadn't yet taken a step back and really decided that I was going to intentionally love myself. I hadn't really thought about it, to be honest. Yeah. And then I was seeing an acupuncturist who was helping with some of the physical components of the pregnancy loss. And she said to me, you know, do you love yourself? And I was, mm. said, sure. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty cool, you know, whatever. And then <laughs> and then I left and I took a step back and I really thought about it. And I was like, no. You know, mm. how many times have I looked at myself in the mirror and said, You really need to get rid of those five pounds? Or, you know, why did you have carbs three times this week? Or mm. why are you so tired? It's just work. Like you need to get it done and plow through and whatever. And I realized that I didn't love myself. It's not something that I was ever taught. You know, love and kindness were definitely taught to me as a child, but always in relation to other people. And, Mm. you know, moving through the world as a Black woman, I feel a responsibility to love myself because I know I can't rely on anybody else to do it for me. When I had that shift happen, all of a sudden, everything became slightly easier to bear because I started treating myself the way I would treat 
somebody I love, you know, the way I would treat Matt, the way I treat my best friend, the way I treated my mom. Mm -hmm. And that honestly, it made life so much easier. Mm, That's major. Oh my gosh. Like having someone ask you, do you love yourself? And you have to really think about it. It's like, oh damn. I don't. I remember it's so wild. Last night I was out writing. I did a whole section on self-love and healing and what that's looked like for me. And I remember writing yesterday, like I hated myself for so long because I thought it was normal. I thought that love was only offered, was only something that I was to offer outside of myself. It was this self-abandoning act. And that's something that I learned just because I saw other people not loving themselves and also not loving each other. And it's like, okay, you know, so it was just like kind of this one-sided situation. It was very, very interesting to put down on paper. Um, And I've talked about, you know, my self-love journey and self-hatred journey my entire career. And it's just really refreshing to hear another woman, another Black woman be like, I had to take a step back and be like, girl, like, what's up? Like, like, do you really, do you really love yourself or do you not? And if you don't, like, how can we get you there? Right. I didn't love myself. And I like, it was almost like I viewed my body separate from my like internal emotional self. Yeah. You know, like I was always getting mad at myself for not being more productive. Always. Like, you know, ever since I was a kid if I want to do something, if I want to get things done, if I want to accomplish things, like I've just always been a worker bee, you know, get shit done, super focused on productivity and output and never focused on just like being and loving Mm -hmm. and being kind to and caring for myself. And that for me, that was a major tipping point in my grief journey. And it's something that I share extensively in the book, because I think if you are going to live with your loss for the Mm. rest of your life, you need to love yourself throughout that journey. Otherwise it's just going to be too fucking hard. This is so good. So let's shift gears and talk more about the book. What do you want people to get from this collection of work? I want people to walk away feeling like I have given them a compass for moving through their own unique grief journey. You know, like I'm very explicit in the book. Everyone's experience with loss is different. You know, even if you are grieving the same loss as someone else in your family, as your partner, you know, whatever, it lands differently for everyone. So I am not trying to tell people these are the specific steps that you have to take Mm -hmm. in order to live a full life in the midst of grief. What I'm doing is pointing to these are the things that I have found most helpful to me on my journey. And I hope that some of them help you. It's not that like super tactical things like you must go to therapy. It's more things like you must give yourself permission to grieve on your terms indefinitely, Mm -hmm. because that is a component of moving through loss. Like if you can't give yourself permission to grieve, you're going to be beating yourself up for these feelings that you have for the rest of your life. And Mm -hmm. that's going to make your journey harder. It's things like this piece around safety and vulnerability. And what does that really mean? It's about giving yourself space to just be with your feelings. You know, once you've given yourself permission, you then have to allow yourself at times to just sit 
with these really complicated and messy emotions. Mm. You have to give yourself permission to let go of the hyper-independence that we worship as a country. And that is Mm -hmm. often for many of us, especially people of color, rooted in trauma and get comfortable asking for help. You know, whether it's paid help or free help, like you don't need to be grieving and healing alone for the rest of your life. You actually shouldn't be, you know, joy. I talk about joy a lot in the book because you need to find a way to experience joy in the midst of grief and independent of grief in order to live a full Mm. life. So yeah, it's these bigger themes that I found are the key ingredients for my healing that I think will be relevant for other people as well. So as we wrap up our conversation, I'm curious to know what you would tell your younger self, maybe that 24, 25 year old self who was walking through the loss of her mother, what you would teach her about grieving and healing and loving herself through it. Honestly, the biggest thing that I will say, and that I wish someone had said to me at the time is your feelings that you're so afraid of, they aren't actually going to overwhelm you and break you. But what will break you is acting as though they don't exist. Mm. Like that is what will create the most hardship. If you can just let yourself breathe, whatever that means, whatever it looks like, that is the thing that can make it all a little bit easier. Thanks for listening to the show today. Please rate, subscribe, and review. Also, feel free to share with a friend. We love having our community grow. Music is by DC's own Kokai. The Hey Girl podcast is produced by Wayne Bertram and me, Alex L. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.